Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah. We, we praise God for our time in, in worship. Um, we praise God for the, uh, the seats we do have here. As you many of you know, uh, next week, this so this is a unique moment. This is the last time we will only have a four o'clock service, praise God. So there's just like a wildness to that. We'll be celebrating four years as a church next week on Easter. Uh, so uh, we'll say this again, but it's worth noting that at four o'clock on Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be starting. So let me just say that in a different way. We don't normally start at four o'clock. We give a four, we give a 15 minute window for uh, the trains for Caribbean-ness, praise God. We give a 15-minute window for all of that. And so whatever we have to do to change that, we need that to happen next week. And, and, so, and going on after that. We're in the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of Revelation. And we'll be in Revelation 18. Revelation chapter 18. What we've said thus far regarding Revelation is that the book of Revelation, the word itself in Greek is the word apokalyptos, and it means to reveal, means to see something I could not have seen on my own, as if I were to have something before you and unveil it in a way that you could not see before. And so what is happening in the book of Revelation is that God is giving us a vision of something we couldn't see with our eyes. Something we couldn't interpret on our own. And so the revelation of Jesus first begins in chapter 1 where he is revealing who he is as a risen Savior. And then also in chapters uh, 1 through 3, uh, it begins to detail an image of what the church really is. And he's talking about different issues the church has. Issues that the church could not see on its own. And then in 4 and 5, we talked about heaven. We talked about worship in heaven. We talked about how heaven is not an extended resort, but it's actually a place of worship. That is the activity of heaven, is worship. And so if you were to continue on in Revelation, in chapter 6, on through chapter 17, what ends up happening is you see what they call judgments. And there are several types of judgments. And there are these judgments that in Revelation 4 get opened up, and they are the seal judgments, and they're breaking of these seals. Mm -hmm. And there is this will of God with these seven seals on it, and they're broken, and they, they invoke judgment on the earth. After the seventh seal is broken open, there are these things called trumpet judgments, and there are seven of those. And after the seventh trumpet judgment, there are the bowl judgments, and those seven are opened up onto the earth. Now, I have, in my time, studied the book of Revelation and found it incredibly helpful, and I encourage you to do that as well. But when you think of the book of Revelation, um, in chapter 6 through 19, often this is called the Great Tribulation. And this is a time when earth is being judged by God. But when looking at the book of Revelation, particularly in those parts, it is important that you not look at it as a concrete uh, chronological timeline. 
More so, it is your advantage if you look at it more like an art gallery, where you're looking at different images. And these images are not intended to uh, be defined in real time. For instance, when you look back 50 years ago, they said Antichrist was one person, right? If you look 50 years later, they say Antichrist is another person. And what I think is true is Jesus was right. <laughs> when he said, ain't nobody going to know when anything's going to happen, right? No man know the day or the hour, right? So man will not be able to figure that out. Now, if you have a favorite Bible interpreter that has told you that this is Russia or something, praise God if that's the case. But what I want to tell you is the intention of the text is not to give you a concrete timeline, but it is to tell you something is going to happen on earth. That there will be a judgment on the earth. And in many ways, in Revelation 18, it functions more like a eulogy. Talking of a death, of a coming to a conclusion. Revelation 18, if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones, if you want to look up here, Revelation chapter 18. He says, after this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Verse 2, he called out in a mighty voice. And this is an angel. It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and her excess. And then jump to verse 11 on down to 13. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, light, uh, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle, and sheep, horses, and carriages, and slaves. Human lives. This is the conclusion of the great city of Babylon. And so to understand Babylon in the New Testament, you have to hearken back all the way to Genesis. In Genesis, uh, Genesis 11 and 4, there were people who were coming together and they said, come. Let us build ourselves a city uh, and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make, watch this, a name for ourselves. And so the Tower of Babel starts out as people from all around the world wanting to create this tower so they could reach up to heaven. But understand the essence of what they wanted to do wasn't just build a tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Hmm. 
in the actual city of Babylon years later, history tells us that there was a Babylonian empire that would destroy Jerusalem and burn the temple and uh, take the people into exile, the people of God into exile. And she is imaged, she's given imagery all throughout the Old Testament as a beast that is Babylon. But history tells us that the Babylonian Empire actually fell very suddenly and very unpleasantly to the Persians under Cyrus the Great in 539 BC, as God had prophesied. You fast forward, now watch this, fast forward 630 years, Babylon is a little village, a little dusty town, and it is insignificant. And so, in the Old Testament, Babylon was a city. But when Babylon is talked about in the New Testament, Babylon is a spirit. It's a spirit. It's this idea that, uh, as it talked about, there is this, uh, seduct- uh, this, this, this uh, woman who seduces Babylon. She seduces culture to act- actively engage her, and she deceives the people of God. There is Babylon, but Babylon is a spirit behind the city. A spirit, you know, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And, 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 and what the imagery there is, is that there is something behind the city that drives us. Amen. Every city has high levels of concentrated influence and power. Cities are built upon the things that, from which humans Uh, Humanity attempts to derive its ultimate significance, whether it's centered around a mosque or a financial district or a church or a cathedral or entertainment sector, sector, all cities are built upon in honor and pay homage to some type of God, some kind of central being. And this, this city imagery hasn't circumvented New York City. For New York City has its own spirit. It has its own principality underneath what we see. New York City is considered the undisputed economic and social capital of the world. But to understand a city, listen now, you must understand its foundations. You must get underneath and see how things started. Just as you saw Babylon, you saw how it started. Mm. New York City started a certain way. And the spirit of how it started stays the same. Mm. It remains. The spirit of New York City begins in the fact that New York had one of the finest harbors next to New Orleans. It was a fine harbor that people could enter in One day, Henry Hudson comes, and he says, hmm, look at this harbor. I bet you I could do a lot of trading over here. The Lumbee tribe Indians said, come on over. And the history books tell us they welcomed them, excited to see these foreigners that they had not seen before. 
Later, Hudson and others would begin fur trading with them. And they would have a business proposition for them. They would begin the Dutch West Indian Company. And soon and very soon, this land would eventually be called New Amsterdam. And New Amsterdam, eventually in 1620, African slaves would come over from Angola to clear out land for the farmers and there would be this one way uh, that they built out this place called Broadway. They wanted to make sure, the Dutch wanted to make sure that they could make sure that their, their money wasn't taken from the Native Americans so they built a wall and they would call it Wall Street. And they, they said, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll flip it. We'll buy this little town, this little area you call Manhattan. We'll call it Manhattan and we'll buy it for $600. And then only 15 years later, the British would come and they would wipe out the Native American population. They would spread disease. And so the only thing left in New York City that would hearken to the Native American roots are just names. Canarsie. Manhattan. Massapequa. The only thing left isn't land, isn't resources, it's just names. It's almost like a tombstone. The foundation of New York City is money and corruption. It is, yes, immigration and hard work. But you have to look at the foundation. See, so now that you understand that, now you know what is behind the city. What is the idol of the city? The idol of the city is career advancement. And behind that idol is the hustle. You see, there's always a hustle in the city. There's all, do you, you notice that everybody's trying to manipulate just for a little more? Financially, Why is that? It's not just because of the people. It's because there's something behind the people. There is a spirit behind New York City. There's a reality behind the reality. And our job is to make sure that the spirit of Babylon isn't in you. Amen. That you don't let the hustle define you. Because we're surrounded by it. We're surrounded by everyone trying to make their mark. Yeah. And it's like there's this invisible drill sergeant constantly pushing you to be more, mm -hmm. to do more, mm -hmm. to hustle more, to be better. And it's as if your calendar, you know, if you have a full calendar, it's this invisible proof that you're somebody. And so, how can we make sure that we are not infected with this atmosphere that's around us? Well, later I'll talk about how this will one day come to an end, but it is very important that we know that even though the bright lights are so entertaining and amazing, even though Broadway is so broad and the theaters are so amazing and the city has this energy, especially in the summer when everyone's out and everything's amazing and you feel like you've made it, especially if you have a name. But just realize 
The thousands of years ago, there were people who started the city for their own name. And God had a problem with that. And I wonder, are you here for your name? Because if you are here for your name, if you are driven by your name, if your name is what gets you up in the morning, then you'll almost do anything to get your name ahead. And the hustle will define and describe your everyday activity. And how can you be in the world but not of it? How can we operate on the trains of Babylon but not be of it? How can we have this place be, it's described, yes, we're describing a place, but not defining my activity. How can we do that? Well, you know, <clears throat> I always find scripture humorous in certain parts because it tells of human life. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gets into a conversation with the sons of Zebedee's mom. The mother says in Matthew 20, verses 20 and 21, the mother of the sons of Zebedee approached him, him being Jesus, with her sons. Look what she did. She knelt down. So notice her posture. She's very honorific <laughs> to ask him for something. And look what look what she. Look at Jesus, because you know Jesus can read minds and tell the future. He goes, What you want? Right? What do you want? He asked her. Now, I, I don't want you to lose this. Uh, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. He says, What do you want? And she asked. Now, um, this version says she asked, but in my version, and I love the way it's saying, she says, Promise me. Promise. Promise, she said that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus, I've been watching the way you do these miracles. Yo, boom. I love it. That water and the wine thing. Yo, that was crazy. I love it. That was awesome. You're walking on water. I love all that. And I'm hearing the word on the street. I'm hearing that you're going to have a throne in heaven. Yo, I love that. So here's what I'm asking because I like to network. So let me get on my knees. And because I noticed that people get what they want when they get on their knees. Because, you know, that's what I'm really here for. I'm approaching you, Jesus, because I need you to make me a promise. Make my children into everything I want them to be. And the worship of Jesus is extended for an exchange. I'll get on my knees if you bless my children. Make me a promise. Because I hear that works. That whole me thing. And Jesus, without going into detail, basically says, I can't do that. I can't promise that to your boys. And moreover, Jesus, does ne Jesus never makes promises of temporal success. But here's what Jesus says. Verse 25, Jesus called them over and said, 
you know. Now, notice, he talks to the mom, kind of talks her off the ledge and says, listen, it's not going to work out that way. But he calls all the disciples over. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. So Jesus is saying something very powerful. He's saying when the Gentiles get into positions of authority, or when Gentiles even want to get into positions of authority, they kind of get their way and they overpower people. And when they get in their positions, they are very powerful and authoritative. In verse 26, he says, it can't be like with you guys, that with you guys. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Verse 27, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And herein lies this incredible tension where this mother is longing for this promise of success. And Jesus said, success in the world is getting your way ahead, networking like mom was doing, and then when you get into power, you show people your power. You live over them with your authority. And he says, but that's not, and I love the way that Jesus says, he says, you see how the Gentiles do it. You see how everybody else does it. He says, but that can't be the way you operate. You must be different. Yeah. And he says this difference, this imagery that he creates, is he says, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. And when you live for the new Jerusalem while living in Babylon, you must be a servant of the living God. And he says, serve like Jesus did, and that he gave his life as a ransom. He was a sacrificial person for the benefit of others. Jesus lived a life on the regular, where he gave away his time. He gave away his energy. He gave away his words. And then eventually, he would give away his life for the benefit of others. Living in Babylon, we hoard our time. Living in Babylon, we hustle to get ahead. But living for the new Jerusalem, we give away our time. We give away our energy. And we spend it for the benefit of others. And we give. We give because he has given to us. And we should be identified as servants. Servants of the living God. And this is a tension. Um, I hate to tell this story. This is so real to me. Um, should I tell this story? Okay. <laughs> um, think about it. Right? I had a, a, a preaching engagement, and uh, I have never missed a speaking engagement in 20 years of ministry. Never. And uh, Sasha and Sarah Hallett, they go to our church, and they invited me out to this speaking engagement. And it was Tuesday morning, and uh, 
the day before I had said, ah, I can't be there. And then I was like, oh, I can be there. And so I, had, I, I was coming in from Birmingham, Alabama, and I flew in, and we touched down, and I get, I get home late, I'm tired, and then I wake up, and uh, I'm sitting there having coffee at my table, and I am just like, just exhausted, just sitting there and just waking up. And so it's, it's 9.05 on Tuesday. And I get a text from Sasha. And the text said, we're in room 1905. <laughs> and I was like, you're in, oh my gosh. He's texting me the room they're in. I was supposed to be there at nine o'clock. It's 905. And I remember thinking, man, I have never in my life missed an opportunity to, to communicate or lead or preach. And now I'm a I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I think I'm a mature Christian. I think. I don't know. <laughs> the, listen now, listen, listen. The week before I had a root canal done, right? But I was fine. I was good. But in my head, I was like, I could tell them I had a root canal done. And I woke up and the medicine is working on me, so unfortunately I couldn't make it. <laughs> And all this stuff is going through my head. And all I can think of is my reputation's on the line. And all I can think of was my name. My name. What will be my name? What will they say about me? What will they say about my preaching if I don't show up? I, I told them I'd be there at nine. I've never been late. I've got a reputation in this city. My name. And I remember I was, I, I was staring at the phone. It's 9.07. I'm staring at the phone. And I'm like, what am I going to say? And I felt the Lord say, tell the truth. And I felt old me's like, tell them about the root canal, praise God. Because you just, you put a little, how you tell a lie? You just put a whole lot of truth in it and just a little bit, a little bit of lie. Just, yeah. I did have a root canal. See how that works? So I'm like, I'm like, and I remember, I FaceTimed my wife. And she was like, what's up? And I was like, I was supposed to be at, the, at Nyack at 9 o'clock. And she was like, oh, baby. <laughs> and I was like, what do I say? She was like, the truth. <laughs> oh, the truth, the truth, the truth. <laughs> My wife had to remember, help me to remember whose name matters the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Church, when the hustle <coughs> defines you and describes you, you'll push to get ahead. You'll manipulate your way. It'll ease into the things that you say. You'll, you'll just do a little, you'll just you'll alter it just a little bit so that you look good before men. And New York is so filled with the hustle that you'll let this environment push you because everybody's trying to be their best. And Jesus gathered the disciples and he said, but that can't be us, y'all. We have to be servants. And serving it's not just in serving. See, he's, he's saying we're servants. Yeah. 
We're servants of God. It's not that we just serve. We're servants of God. So it's not just what you produce. It's also the process by which you produce it. If I lie my way into effectiveness, that brings no glory to God. If you manipulate your way ahead, though you are being celebrated on earth, you are grieving heaven. And so the reality is, we are not just serving, we're servants. We're in Babylon, but we're not of it. And the only way to contradict the spirit that is around us is to be different. Is to be different. And to know that you're not like everybody else. You're not like everybody else. And that's what he says. And so I love what Jesus does now. I'm not going to be before you too long. That's what the preacher says. Thank you. But what if I just tell you about this other city? Because we know about this city, right? We know it's dope. We know that there's all this fashion. We know this, and that's why you're here. And that's why some of you are hustling so hard. But what if there was a city better than this city? Much better than this city. And, and so in Revelation 21... One through four, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse two, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is with humanity. And he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and there be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be what? No more. Grief. Crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Let me tell you more. Revelation 22. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will worship him. And that is the city that we are waiting for. Mm -hmm. And that's also the city that we demonstrate on our job. Mm -hmm. That is the kingdom that we are ambassadors of. And for every job, and for every cubicle, and for every neighborhood you are in, you establish an embassy of the kingdom where you are. And you show off this city. Where there's healing to the nations, you show off this city. Where there's no more death and no more dying, you put this city on display. And if there is death on your block and dying on your block and tears on your block, you make sure it's no more. As long as it's on your watch. And we are like Abraham in Hebrews 11.10. For he was looking forward to the city. Forward to the city. 
that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And he was longing for a better place, a better city. And he says it has foundations. The foundation of the kingdom will be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That will be the foundation every day where there is peace and there is joy in the city. But that is a future reality. And until we are in that city, and until we are on that foundation of righteousness, joy, and peace, then as God's people, as God's people, we then become the righteous foundation for the city. We offer a safe foundation, a firm foundation. Now understand, foundations on buildings are there. I didn't know this, I did some research. <laughs> foundations are on buildings, little did I know, because the ground beneath buildings constantly move. They constantly shift. And if there is not a foundational platform for which the building to be on, different parts will move independently and flow in and out. Foundations provide a platform for buildings so that brittle walls and floors do not separate. Foundations. And so what the Bible is saying is that in the kingdom, the foundation will be established. But while on earth, we are the foundation. We are the pillars. We are the people of integrity that people are looking to. And it's not just about who has a greater religion. It is about people wanting to feel that there is a servant on their job that's willing to do things in integrity and doesn't need a thank you. Yes. There's someone on the job that is going to keep going and even though everyone is complaining, they're going to their cubicle and they're praying. There's someone in the neighborhood that while everyone is frustrated and you are helping to bring peace and organize, we are the foundations of the city. And we are a pillar to this community. And God has placed us here to be that. And so what should our attitude be? How should we operate? And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Now, I remember the King James Version. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain. So as your friends and as everyone else shift and they move, you be the foundation. You stand firm on the word of God and let nothing move you because God has placed us in this city to be that foundation. And how are we strengthened by our brothers? 
you must have brothers and sisters help you know your name. Help you know that there is a name above your name. And be firm. In this ever-shifting city where the hustle is defining everyone. Don't let it define you. When the stress of life is overwhelming everyone, put peace on display. When manipulation is defining everyone, put integrity on display. When everyone is pushing to get ahead, put kindness on display. When everyone is just shouting in frustration, put joy on display. When the mean-spiritedness of this city forces us to fight everyone, put love on display. For love is the ultimate foundation that God wants to show in this city. And so don't be tough just because New York City is tough. Don't let Brooklyn define you. I don't care where you're from. I don't care your background. I don't care your personality. Let love define your foundation so that when people see you, they see Jesus. They see Jesus. They see Jesus. Because Brooklyn don't define you. Acting doesn't define you. Dancing doesn't define you. TV doesn't define you. Wall Street doesn't define you. New York City will come and New York City will go. But there will be a new Jerusalem one day. And we will be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And there will be a foundation there. And so let's celebrate our God. No one can take away our foundation. Our foundation is Jesus who died for us and bled for us. And so I'll give my life away. And people may not think highly of me as long as Jesus thinks highly of me. I will put you on display every day. I will give you glory in all that I do, God. Your name. I want to make a name for you in this city. I want to make a name for you in this city. I want to make a name for you in this city. A name for you. Because I saw when the people gather and make great things in their own name, you take it away. I want what I do to last. Everything you do in his name will last. Establish your love through me, Jesus, in this city. Jesus, we ask right now, God, we ask right now, your name, let your name be adored in this city. Bless this city through me, through my life. Use me up. Use me up, God. Use me up, God. Use me up, Lord. Establish your name through me, God.